Hello, and welcome to Homebrew Schmombrew, the website that features interviews among people who love games. Um, you know, uh, I'm just thinking about it this season. We're talking a little bit about stuff that is game adjacent, so maybe we have to adjust the tagline. If anybody has any thoughts about that, tweet at me to let me know. I'm at Schmombrew, that's at S-H-M-O-M-B-R-E-W, and I am your fearless host. And as usual, our other host, Rodney's here. Rodney, say hello. Hello. Um, you can you can tweet me at Dr. Zoggle, D-R-Z-O-G-G-L-E, and send me uh, money, like like old money, like like bags with dollar signs on it, filled with coins. That would be a great gift for me. Like you, do you want like Confederate money or like actual real U.S. currency? Like I'd prefer real U.S. currency. Actually, at this point, I would probably prefer another country's currency, but I'm not going to get into that. <laughs> Oh, are you are you are you planning a fierce escape here? I mean, I have some student loans, so I might want to go with you. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna cross cross the border and sneak up into Canada. I think that's that's the idea. <laughs> uh, you know, it, the the best part about this plan is no one will suspect because we're only talking about it in a recorded medium. We're gonna distribute for free on the internet. Yeah, there'll be there'll be no evidence at all because you know, right? Yeah. Speaking of not leaving any evidence, our guest this week is uh, my good friend Andrew. Uh, Andrew, uh, you you've been leaving any evidence behind? No, I'm pretty sure I've covered up all of it. And those people who are listening, who uh, saw what I did in the woods, you know that I saw you. So I don't think I don't think there's any loose ends at this point. Not well, for long, anyway. Well, you're from the Pacific Northwest, so I hear you people do a bunch of things in the woods. Is that right? Oh yeah. It's 90% woods. There's like a tree growing through my house right now. It's a big issue. It's it's, <laughs> it's all trees all the time. There's more trees than people. What about ants? How many ants are there around there? Because like I've always I've always wanted to see one in real life. So it's interesting. We don't have ants per se. We do have the ant wives. Um, they're they're around. Uh, I know Tolkien was looking for them. He wasn't exactly sure where they went, but they went here. Um, and they're they're pretty cool most of the time. Um, and uh, uh, they hang out. They go to the mall. It's it's pretty chill. Uh, I heard there's a huge ant wife population in Portland now too. Is is one of the good? Yes, yes. There's a huge ant wife uh, population in Portland. Um, we also have some ants in drag. So I guess they are they are becoming ant wives, which is pretty cool. Um, we're supporting them through that transition. Um, and it's 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 a pretty cool scene here. They do conflict somewhat with the lumberjack aesthetic of Portland. That's been kind of like a like a gang warfare kind of issues sometimes where you're like wearing a checkered shirt you're walking by powells and suddenly like an aunt and wife will come for you so you know you got to be careful but it's you know we survive just acorns flying in the street pine cones breaking windows like all oh, sorts of, of yeah, tree related violence and uh and other issues <laughs> yeah yeah nuts everywhere but i would say overall their bark is worth the, the worse than their bite um and boo I <laughs> boo it's, it's not it's not bad as long as you leaf them alone you know <laughs> Oh, I love this well, episode. <laughs> and, Andrew's a teacher, so I'm not sure if that gives him like leeway to make these dad jokes. Is that is that one of the one of the one of the benefits of of a teaching degree, like early access to dad joke? Yeah. So when you when you start teaching, they say either you have to look adult, so try to grow a beard, wear glasses, say groovy and old old people stuff a lot to gain their legitimacy, essentially, um, or you can do dad jokes. I went for both. Um, it's been a mixed bag, and my students groan frequently when I make dad jokes. I dad joke them into submission, and uh, then they're like, "Please let us work, Mr. Vanness. We want to be done." And you're just like, "Who's done? They're not on the uh, not on the class list." <laughs> yeah. Uh huh. It's it's all that. 
all the time. It's that, oh. and I'll use the modern slang, and I'll use it correctly, but I'll use it in, like, everything I'm saying. Oh, I don't know if it... I think it's more fun to watch, like, the heads explode when you use it incorrectly. You know, when I'm like, hey, I'm just going to yeet over to Rodney's house, and they're like, what? Yes. No, I've done that to students who are, like, not paying attention, and I'll say, if you do not work on your computer and, and work on your credit recovery class, no cap, you will be in trouble. And they just they just slide down in their chair. <laughs> But uh, one of the good things about getting old is, uh, you know, we've earned the ability to mess with the youth, <laughs> the youth in revolt. Yes. I just I, I always think about the Simpsons thing. I used to be with it. Then they changed what it was. And now what is it is strange and scary to me. <laughs> that's that's how I feel. You know, music attained perfection in 1998. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, anyway, aside from being a teacher, an expert at and an expert at dad jobs, uh, Andrew is also a gamer. So that is a uh, you know why we have this uh, strange bearded, bespectacled fellow on the uh, on the podcast today. Uh, Andrew's played a few games with me. Uh, you know, we're actually talking about starting up a campaign that will include him and Rodney, which I'm super excited about. But, uh, you know, Andrew, can you tell us a little bit about how you got started with role-playing games? Yeah. So when I left high school, I'd, when in high school, I'd always wanted to do fantasy stuff. I loved uh, fantasy books and video games and everything. And I'd been interested in the idea of role-playing, which I, like, loosely knew about. I was raised, you know, pretty religious. And so that was of the devil. I was like, oh, I don't know about that stuff my could take my soul but um as i got out of that situation and got older i uh, started to find things on the internet that were D, D or rpg adjacent or themed and got more and more into that uh, i found the the actual play podcast like live show stuff that penny arcade does called acquisitions incorporated and uh that along with i read the book which i know has its problems ready player one and that has a lot of like nerd culture in it sort of like spread out almost like a history text and i i fell in love and everything he mentioned i was like i gotta read this book i gotta listen to this podcast i gotta like try this movie out uh I, he talks like about tomb of horrors in there and i was like what's tomb of horrors i have to figure this out and uh so i got into it and then i was in college there was a guy on my floor i was on the eighth floor and uh there was this guy and he was he's kind of pretentious but he was nice and he had a, a rpg game going he's like do you want to join because he knew i was vaguely nervous um, and so I went and I had an awful time. It was the worst experience. I did the zero session. And I did the first session and it was, I don't remember what exactly we were playing, but it was a, uh, like an urban fantasy kind of thing. And the zero session was pretty good. I was like, okay, I made my character. They've got some cool powers. That's fun. And then when we went to do it, I think everybody in his group had been playing for a while and really had set in their minds like their own play style. And I was like, okay, I'm up for whatever. I've seen Acquisitions Incorporated and some other stuff online, so I kind of know how this goes. And I remember it was like in the first round, we had a mystery, we had to solve something about the Fey Court. And this one guy goes, well, my character really wants to work on his truck. That's what he's invested in. I'm gonna do that. And I said, okay. And we, like half of us went to solve the Fey Court mystery. This guy worked on his truck in character for like the three hours that we played. And I was like, is this role playing? Is is this how it worked? And after that, I never came back. I was like, uh, I don't know about this role playing stuff, if that's what it's gonna be. Since 
since then I've realized maybe not everybody plays like that. Maybe that's not how most people play, but it was an eye-opening experience to, to, to get started with, you know? I, I picture you just very carefully, like when you're going on your first role-playing website, reading the privacy policy, looking for anything about losing your soul. Like, let's see, what happens if I agree to these terms and conditions? Yeah, so I roll the d20 and that's the percentage of my soul that gets taken? Is that how this works? Oh man, every time you roll a d20, just a little bit's lost. Yeah. I can no. see that and now. I mean, at this point, I think that's a sacrifice I'd be willing to make because I have too much fun all the times I've gotten to play different RPGs. So I've got to ask about the guy working on his truck a little bit. Was he was so was he like I'm filling the gas tank up, I'm opening the hood? Was it like that in depth, or was he just like I'm gonna go work on my truck and didn't say anything? No, he was he was making rolls. He was talking to the the GM and being like, okay, so I want to like fix my engine. In what way is it broken? Okay, I'd like to like make an inspection of it. And we like came to him. We're like, hey, we need a vehicle to like go to this next location. And we had to like persuade him into it. He really didn't want to. And I was I was like, this guy is getting something out of this that I am not getting out of this. Good good for him, you know. Oh man, but, that sounds uh, like the worst yeah. player ever. Like I would yeah, not want that guy at my table. It was, it, I and I couldn't tell if that was normal because I didn't have enough experience, and I I just walked away after that game, and it was it was probably a year to six months before I found my first real campaign I was in, which there was another person who had dated someone on my floor, and so I met him. Um, I, he was called Mason at the time. I haven't stayed in touch too much, but uh, they might go by a different name now, so I, I'm not sure. But they were a great DM, um, and uh, they did the the trope of let's do a fantasy campaign in like a, an inherently geographically limited location. So they did it on like a floating city which I honestly love um, as someone who's played more stuff now that you can have such variety, but like you can't leave to the other nations and go like mess with their economy or something like that. It was really fun. Well, Floating City is one of my favorite tropes in in any game. Like, uh, you know, there was a Lunar Silver Star story for the PS1 that had the Floating City that was great. There was a Floating City in, in Chrono Trigger. I mean, I think like the Floating City has like become a bit of a, a nerd trope and I just love it. I've I featured floating cities in games before. Uh, what about? It's pretty cool. It, uh, Rodney, do you have any experience with floating cities showing up and things? Uh, in the Forgotten Realms, I forget the nation, but one of the nations uh, thousands of years ago had floating cities. And uh, let me think of this. What happened was one of the they were all powerful wizards, and one of the wizards learned that uh, settings Forgotten Realms. He learned the first ever eleven. 11th or God, spell level 11 the 11th level spell and uh yeah he cast that and he stole uh mistra i think was the goddess of magic he stole her her magical powers not thinking and when he stole all her powers he realized his error and all the floating cities fell to the fell to the you know earth or whatever he was doomed forever to be petrified heart or something i'm getting a bunch of details wrong but i remember that one do you know if that's related to the reign of colorless fire in forgotten realms uh yeah that kind of sounds familiar but i couldn't tell you uh i'm it started there there their civilization started with I am MR ski or something. I've gotten that so much stuff in it. I've, yeah. So you forgot. About yeah. It. Yeah. <laughs> They're uh, not called the remembered right gnomes. So, so Andrew, what is your favorite like RPG trope that shows up? 
And if you need some help, I can list just a few off the top of my head. Man, um, do you mean like trope in terms of setting or trope in terms of like plot hook? Yes. <laughs> um, I don't know. I'm I'm a sucker for the classic chosen one of some kind. I really like twists on it. Like I, I love the idea of um, like a wizard shows up and goes like, you farm boy, farm girl, whoever you are, you're the chosen one. And I've always enjoyed things that, that twist it in some way. And it's like, well, maybe they're not the chosen one. And that wizard just is behind on their rent and they need to like generate an army and generate extra money so they can like pay that off. And they're not actually the chosen one, but maybe people start to believe it. Like that's in terms well, of plot hook, I, that's something they enjoy. I would also imagine that if a chosen one shows up, that could trigger your force majeure clause in any contract. So the wizard could just be like, look, there's a chosen one. I don't have to deliver all of these potions of invisibility to your, to your yeah, rogue skill. I love that. That it's like a legal loophole. That would be so much fun. It's uh, never another class that finds the chosen one. It's never like a bard that's going to find the chosen one or a fighter. It's always got to be the wizard. See, that would be fun too. Like, how do you gather the party? Is like they're all sent out from their like respective institutions to go find the chosen one, and they all find the same one, and they're like, "No, this dude's coming with me. No, he's coming with me. Okay, he's a member of the party." And that's how you get everybody. Oh, together. a bunch of crotchy met- mentors all show up. They all think they have the chosen one, so they just send all of you on the quest together because one of you is bound to be the chosen one and we'll just see who's right <laughs> well that's uh i i read the wheel of time books growing up and that's sort of the plot of that one where all the kids you're like oh one of these are the chosen one it's really obvious who it is if you read it it's not hidden at all and it's, it's kind of same for the amazon show they're doing right now but it's a little a little bit like that i always thought like uh sorry i i, I lost my train of thought there for a second I, I think my favorite like trope that shows up in rpgs and maybe this is more final fantasy than anything else i love trains that go to other places like like either death or like the space train and transformers like uh-huh. i just love like weird trains that don't really make sense in their settings that go places i think there's one of those in uh the, like the second kingdom hearts game i'm pretty sure there's like a phantom train or something they get on they might have stolen that from final fantasy they took a lot of stuff from final fantasy <laughs> yeah i think i think kingdom hearts like that that, that that should just be called Stolen the Franchise because it's all about just using other people's IP. <laughs> that or fanfic the franchise. We're like, what if Cloud was there and then he met Sephiroth and they were buddies or, you know. <laughs> uh, so tell me about that second campaign you were in. It sounds like it went much better than the first one. Yeah, that was the first real time that I ever got to be in like a real campaign. Um, it, was a, it was a really, um, it was like an educational experience for me because that first campaign that I, I did with just the two sessions, I never really got to bond with people or figure out like table dynamics or really get more into the rules of, of um, you know, what we're using to play. That the the real game that I got to get into uh, later, um, we did D&D 5e, um, which I'd never, never played before. So I got to learn all that stuff, which was fun. Um, I got to be a sorcerer uh, and mostly I modeled the character after um, Jim Dark Magic from Acquisitions Incorporated. Of the New Hampshire Dark Magics? Of the New Hampshire Dark Magics. Ah, I see you know the family well. Their (laughs) reputation precedes them. The problem was, is the way that he plays that character is that character's kind of a dick. And that's sort of the joke at the table that everybody acknowledges. And I thought 
that that is was the the experience that people would have coming in that it, people would know that and sometimes i would play and i i did not think that i as a player was was being a jerk or an asshole in any way but my character would kind of do things never things to totally destroy the adventure or mess with the party like he was always okay how do we solve you know whatever it is but there was one player at the table who they i don't know if they were unable to or if i just wasn't doing a good enough job of differentiating myself from the character but they were like i'm not i don't like that Thing that you're doing it's not what i want to play and so i had to adjust myself and have conversations with them and i feel like over time it improved but it was just really interesting to have that experience and um kind of have that dynamic and an issue with another player where it's like well i thought i was differentiating the character me from the player me but you know that kind of came into issues but it was uh so that so that part of it was definitely educational so wait uh, you, your, your second group, you actually had a healthy conversation about a problem, and then you guys worked to fix it. Yes. And that that player and I always kind of butted heads just because we had such different play styles. And and that's when I realized there's, there's so many different ways that people approach RPGs and what they want to get out of it and what they want to do, which I should have realized when that one guy worked on his truck that there's a wide variety <laughs> of, of approaches. I would hate to have that player at my table, just saying. Like, I would. Would too. They but obviously a, don't want to participate. But if you had a whole group that was like that, maybe you could kind of have a fun game of people who just live in this area and they work there and maybe the NPCs are the ones that are more causing problems for them. Get off my lawn, says the old man who's just mowing it or whatever. So you want to have, <laughs> think, like, Animal Crossing the tabletop? You, I think you could do it if everybody was there for it. I think I'd be terrible GM and someone repairing the truck because I'd be like, uh, do the doors work? <laughs> Is there gas? You're out of turning signal fluid. Yeah. <laughs> that, that would be my problem, too. I have uh, a lot of students, because I work at a more rural school district, so I have a lot of students who one of the things that they do is they go mud, and they got four-wheelers, they got different stuff, and they work on their cars. And they occasionally try to talk to me about it, and I'm like, yeah, crankshaft, definitely. That's the shaft that you crank. Cool. God. You know, I'm, like, trying to follow along and nod, but yep. I have no idea. <laughs> um. I, I just want to go back to, like, solving that problem because, like, I feel like, Rodney, I should have a soundboard, which is, like, the word communication with heavenly music on it because that's come up a lot this season that that's how you have to address problems at the table. And so many people are reluctant to just, like, talk to somebody about something they have a problem with. It, 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 I think it's hard for when you're playing with us people that you don't know especially you know yeah. when you're playing with your buddies you can communicate but when you've just met somebody and they're doing something you don't want to come across as you know too mean but sometimes you know you gotta yeah you gotta sit down and be an adult and just have that look this is how i feel let's let's talk this out uh so andrew um you know you have a couple games under your belt i know that you've had kind of a, a like unusual inconsistent history with role playing so just so the listeners understand a little bit can you just tell us a little bit about that yeah so um i you know i've moved around a couple times and i've, I've gone to a couple different educational institutions and so you know different friend groups different areas it's not always the easiest to get a group together i i think one time i tried an online uh get together and i did one session didn't work but um, I've been pretty lucky to be in a couple different campaigns. So I got to do, I did that first one that didn't go very well, the first two sessions in college. And then I met uh, the DM who I, I worked with for, uh, uh, I think we got through like, I don't know, like 10 sessions or something like that and kind of got to the end of the floating city, which was really cool to go from, okay, we're just nobodies to, oh my gosh, the floating city is crashing. We all have to make rolls and, and see if we can, uh, uh, 
do it. And that was an in-person campaign, which was pretty cool. Very, very classic, just sitting at a table, everybody rolling dice um, with, with strangers at the beginning and then kind of like people I knew by the end. Um, after that, I'm trying to think what I did. Oh, well, at one point we did uh, we did a one-shot that was a dread where we played characters in the floating city uh, being chased by some monster in the bowels. And that was the first time I got exposed to like an RPG that didn't use dice where we were doing the Jenga tower. And I have never been so scared in my entire experience watching or playing RPGs as when you're trying to pull out that Jenga thing. You're like, that thing is going to get my character. Uh, so that was exciting. I love Dread. And you were uh, you were in my Dread game in Bloomington. Yes, the, the- that was my second time ever doing it. And I was so excited to be there. Yeah, that- I got a question about the Jenga real fast. Does the loser of the game, the person who did the worst, have to put the Jenga back in the box? <laughs> uh, well, uh, the the way the game works is that you use the Jenga tower for task resolution, and whoever knocks it down dies with whatever they're trying to do. So when you have multiple people play, you have to rebuild the tower multiple times. Uh, yeah, it's been my experience that generally the second to last person to die because whenever whenever I play Dread at least it's like a hit list like the thing is there's going to be one surviving player and they win and uh, you know the uh, the game we played in Bloomington uh, Andrew's wife won and she ended up deciding that she wanted to be the bad guy um, but usually because of that the second to last person usually ends up putting away the Jenga table whenever I end up playing and there's never been like a declared rule about it but that's just always what happens <laughs> Yeah, she, she, well, occasionally I'll talk to her about trying to do, you know, a tabletop role-playing game with me or something. And she's, she, that's just not the kind of stuff she's normally interested in. But we almost always, when we're having that conversation, talk about that game and how she went full villain. I think she had a really good time. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. And, uh, you know... I, most uh, most of the listeners, I'm sure, don't know your wife, but uh, her going full <laughs> villain was very surprising to me. She's such a nice person and so so entertaining and in- interesting. Like it, it really surprised me when she's like, you know what? I want to be the bad guy. I'm going to use my last action to kill the bad guy and take over. <laughs> I was like, okay. I would like the record to show I was not surprised by that. <laughs> and if there is a mysterious occurrence in my future and you can't find me, please find the villain of that dread game and question them thoroughly. <laughs> okay well uh moving around moving moving from uh what spouse aside uh <laughs> what do you uh what has been your favorite character in the games that you've played man i'm really liking the game that i'm in now so just just to quickly recap my my experience because again i haven't oh. played in too many games i i did that uh the floating city we did a dread game during the floating city as kind of a break which was really fun um and then i just had a long period where i was just um not doing too much and i was i was working um and then eventually i was i was doing uh my teaching my teacher's education for a year and then student teaching and then teaching so i was pretty busy um but uh after the floating city uh, the next game i was in was probably that one shot dread that you were just talking about i think there was a pretty big gap there um and then there was the supernatural game the monster of the week one that i think uh uh i think pat talked about on uh his episode which was pretty cool uh and then 
We did the superhero game Mask, which was really fun because uh, I'd never played um, like a less crunchy game where you, you have the character sheets already like set up. What's that called where they're not character sheets, but the characters already on there? They're playbooks for masks. Playbooks. I'd never done playbooks before. And I love that concept because I feel like that so, makes it so easy for like a new person to get into it. Yeah, I really but. love the playbooks in Powered by the Apocalypse games uh, because uh, the other the other game you mentioned, Monster of the Week, is another example of a Powered by the Apocalypse game. Um, they're, they're just really nice because uh, all of the rules for a particular player's like class more or less is in one place so they can see how to resolve all of their things their advancement is right there it, it really takes what could be a very complicated character creation process and narrows it down to like choices that the players can make in a logical order um i think it's a very user-friendly format and uh yeah it was really cool they always provide enough playbooks that there are there are a lot of different character options like uh you know just thinking about that monster of the week game we had more than the recommended number of players but we had uh your character who was a librarian i can't remember which playbook he was was he the he was the one who i think inherently had no i think everybody else had some sort of supernatural power or link to supernatural power but he was oh he was the mundane i think it was was called or something okay. very similar yeah he was the mundane and then my character was an expert which is somebody who just knew a lot of supernatural lore who uh it was a blood witch that owned like one of those uh like old lady curio shops that you see at the beach sometimes it sells like vaguely native american stuff <laughs> and uh turquoise everywhere yes actually turquoise <laughs> and crocheted everything like was part uh -huh. of the shop uh then uh we had another player who's playbook was the chosen one that was a 17 year old hockey player and then we had a character that was uh what well, jan's character was a a fairy he only played in like one or two games but his character was a fairy who was a stripper um using their their monster playbook and then uh what zach was a professional monster hunter who had a little demon familiar using the professional playbook uh mm -hmm. pat was a character that was not pat uh kevin was a character that was based basically like uh, an extra from the craft who he made with a weirdo playbook um like th th there were a lot of interesting options and it was a very very easy to learn system so i enjoyed that a lot yeah i it, came in on late on that one and it was pretty easy to join up and then you're in my fate of cthulhu game right now has there been anything yeah. in between those since the masks game uh well i got i've gotten really into this podcast called the appendix n book club where there's these uh two people who are going through gary gygax's original appendix n uh reading recommendations and then doing a podcast where they kind of explore either a book or an author or a couple books um, uh, from that and then having various guests on. And one uh, RPG that I'd never heard of, which they talk about a lot, is called uh, DCC, which is Dungeon Crawl Classic. So I started to look more into that. I understand that the creator of that had read the Appendix N and said, wow, there's a lot of um, roots and influences and things that happen in these books that you can kind of see replicated through a bunch of them um, that just just didn't make it into original Dungeons and Dragons or did make it into original Dungeons and Dragons, but has been sort of lost over time for one reason or another. And I think it's kind of a return to form in that 
respect with a couple other things. So, you know, you'll have dinosaurs and more sort of pulpy type adventures sometimes. And uh, so I got the book for that. And I've gotten some, they've got some zines that they put out with like one like adventure. So I've got, I don't know if I have any of them. Yeah, I've got one of them here. So I did this one. I got this zine, which is like kind of fun looking. It's from their crawl magazine or zine that they've got. And it has, uh, has have either of you played DCC before? Um, no, not actually, but just for the listeners, um, since we're not a visual medium, he was just holding up, I think, issue number nine of Crawl. Yeah, issue number nine of Crawl, the R-Witch Grinder. Okay. And it's very horror. Yeah, I but, haven't... Uh, are, are they one-person games no so they're 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 a lot like dungeons and dragons where they're you know they're multiple people adventures and i haven't really even gotten too deep into the rule book and i bought the whole rule book but one thing that they have which i found really exciting and interesting and this is this to this is answering your question in a long way i promise um is they have zero level games where they call it a zero level funnel and each player gets four characters that they get which is sort of a simplified character sheet um kind of setup which again i have those but the audience would not be able to see it, so I, I won't hold it up. But um, so you get to play four characters, and it's like, well, one is like a, a a blacksmith, and one is the person who's like the stable boy, and you, you know you've got a couple basic ones, and you go through this zero level funnel, and by the end, ninety percent of the characters, and there's maybe like sixteen that you're bringing into this adventure, get killed off, and those that survive, the players get to pick which ones they want, and it could be that Jim has three of his characters survived, whereas like Susan, all of her characters died so susan might pick one of jim but then you instead of having a zero session where you all build your characters based off your ideas you get a pick from this pool and they come with these cool backstories because you all survived the haunted mansion or in this case the r witch grinder underneath you know the the town okay that's that's really interesting i know that the old school revival is a big thing that's going on right now there are a lot of people who are yearning for more old school games and uh you know, there's a little bit of friction going on between the different camps, but I think it's cool that there's a there's a recovery. Um, I didn't know. I don't know if you know this, but uh, the zero level funnel is actually something that existed to some degree in AD and D, and then a little bit in Second Edition, and. Uh, uh -huh. The original Greyhawk setting book actually had a zero level adventure that was designed where everybody played like an apprentice who didn't quite have all their stats and everything nailed down. And based upon the missions that you managed to complete during the zero level game, you could pick the class that your character ultimately became. Like, That's uh, cool. I really like that evolving element as opposed to just my hero appears fully formed. That's cool. Well, there was like one of the challenges was there was like a 2000 pound thing you had to pick up and nobody had the strength to do it and there are a couple different ways to do it you could do it mechanically like if you got involved with the people at the construction workers guild who would help you build it um another one was you could cast a spell a tensor's floating disc which could lift up to 2,000 pounds but it required a drop of mercury as a material component which cost uh like a thousand gold pieces and none of your characters had close to that money so you had to figure out how to get that money um it, w it was a fun little thing to do like i did it a couple times where uh where, where you basically like unlock what your character ends up being based on the missions that you managed to succeed on in the in the little quest but uh you know to bring it back around to the question that i was that that, that we kind of skipped over what is your favorite character you've ever played okay so yeah i'd i'd done the zero level sessions i've done two of those i've never really gotten more into dcc but i had fun with that and then i got to join your campaign which is the uh in fate of cthulhu and my uh probably my favorite character i've ever gotten to play is the one i'm playing right now which is rick zahn who is a 
a, a washed up musician from the future who's sworn off his uh, his musician past, his rock star past. He still does uh, copious amounts of questionable substances and uh, has taken up a uh, sort of medical profession in the apocalyptic future. But now he's found himself thrown back into the past, into the far-flung distant year of 2020, and is trying to stop, is maybe not the right word, alter the the un, unfolding apocalypse. And uh, I really enjoy all the players I'm with. I really enjoy the DM. The DM's great, everybody. I love the DM. And uh, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, that, that actually has been a really fun game for me, and uh, I think some of the characters have gone directions I wasn't expecting. I think uh, I think Rick is, is an interesting choice because he's come back and he's so against music and creativity because that plays into this this old one but he's living at a time when he was the closest he ever got to fame so like his past self is fully embracing music and doing that and uh his future self is trying to figure out how to prevent the apocalypse so it's it's been kind of an interesting journey for him um i know that you were talking about dungeon crawl classics so that might be the answer to this question but i was just wondering like you've heard of a bunch of different role-playing games what is a role-playing game that you've heard of that you've never gotten to play that you would love a chance to play i think man there there's definitely been a lot of periods where you know i haven't had anybody who's interested in playing and i've just been looking through rule books or googling things online and and kind of looking up the history the one that i think stands out to me and there's a couple but the one that specifically stands out to me i think is uh traveler uh because i i'd not played that one before i've downloaded totally legally if anyone's asking <laughs> Um, several versions of the rule book, especially the older ones that, you know, they don't have anymore, just to be like, what was this like? There was D&D, &D, and there was this, and there was, there was like two other, you know, there was mutants and, and atomic stuff, and there was this. And I've always really enjoyed sci-fi. Um, so I've, I think I think that's the one that if if they're like okay you can play anything what's it going to be probably some version of Traveler. Have you ever played Traveler, Rodney? I never really had the sci-fi itch, so I've never played it. No, it was always one of those I saw in in the uh, store, but. I used my $20 to buy some D&D &D supplement and never got around to it. See, I know like Traveler, D&D, &D, and Gamma World all kind of came out around the same time. I yep, wanted to try Gamma World, but I've never gotten to. Like, I remember one of their books has a cover with like a, like a woolly mammoth with two trunks. And I don't know, for some reason, I always just wanted to mess with that setting, like all the weird mutant animals and everything. There was a, there, there's so many good uh, kind of sci-fi RPGs that I never got to to play because yeah just the people i ran with was always dnd 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 so yeah looking back that i remember that cover specifically with the two trunks <laughs> now that he now that you remind me of it and i was kind of the same way like this looks really cool but you know. See, I think the only, I think the earliest sci-fi game I remember playing was Mechanoids, which was a Palladium game, and uh, I wouldn't even call that really a sci-fi game because the plot of that is just that these weird, like, super advanced robots show up and start killing everyone, and you're trying to survive. So I wouldn't consider that sci-fi. I guess it's more like survival horror, just with a little sci-fi flavor. But yeah. uh, so, what are your thoughts on like Spelljammer versus like real sci-fi? Like, would you be interested in trying Spelljammer? So, okay, I I may have done understanding wrong here so let me check spell jammer is wasn't that a playable world in the D, D sort of umbrella right yeah spell jammer was a game setting and it's being reintroduced like wizards announced that earlier this year and uh the uh thing is there's space travel in between worlds 
but it's like magic instead of really technology. Okay. Like your your okay, spaceship yeah. uses magic as like fuel. Yeah, I've I've definitely looked back at at some of the old worlds. Um, some of them are older than others, like Eberron and Planescape and different stuff like that. Being like, man, I wonder what it would be like if if some of the stuff was more updated for fifth edition or something. I like space fantasy, which it seems like that is. So I would be fine with it. I think I would be more interested in doing some kind of spelljammer campaign if you had somebody who loved to read the old like naval books that like uh old men usually read about uh like uh, uh what is it like uh, like c.s forrester's um napoleonic war books about uh horatio hornblower or patrick o'brien because uh, i'd love to play in a campaign like that where there's like some rigor and it's like okay you have to go up and deal with the um the magic spar and you have to see if you can unreef the sail the magic on the magic sail and i think i would enjoy some of that a little bit just because i'm wired that way but I think it could be fun. Yeah, I actually knew a guy who uh, who ran a Spelljammer campaign, and uh, one of the things he did for the worlds that they went, the worlds were basically like, I don't know, have you read Michener? I know the name, but I haven't read any Michener before, no. Oh, man, like, they, they were basically like Michener. I, I know that doesn't really help at all, but like... Is it zany? Extremely, is Michener zany? No, it's extremely granular about the development of societies. Like, his book Centennial talks about a small town in Colorado that uh, you know that was supposed to be like their hundred year anniversary was in 1976 and they renamed the town to Centennial but like you showed up there at that point in time but then they're like but what is Centennial so like he had to jump back to the beginning and he literally jumped back to the beginning and had like a hundred pages of when the earth was like from the earth being like nothing but fire all the way through the dinosaurs that would become the uh, fossils that were discovered in centennial like just crazy amounts of detail about small things and uh you know colonialism warning like there, there's definitely colonial uh like colonial ideas in his books even though he writes about like africa and hawaii and and everything um but i just remember this guy like one of one of his worlds you went to like he spent like 30 minutes explaining the water delivery system for the main town <laughs> Um, so I, I like some of that granularity sometimes. It usually has to be mixed with other things. If it's just the granularity, I usually get frustrated. But I've been reading a lot of those like old boat books recently by like C.S. Forrester and Patrick O'Brien. And as long as it builds towards something, or you know, or, or it serves character building and things, I'm I'm always down for that. But uh, it can get pretty dry sometimes. I've read some books like I think it's is it the Princess Bride where you get the history of the country for like the first hundred pages, and then the story finally. They get you know gets in at a certain point definitely different than the movie so you know i know that you have a, a lot of experience playing role-playing games as a player like have you ever thought about running a game like would you want to sometime i think i think i would want to i'm always i'm i'm not a forgetful person but my memory doesn't always hold everything as solidly as i'd like and so i would definitely want to be uber prepared with you know notes and everybody's you know spells that people can do and all the rules because i it, i think it would depend on who i was playing with too if they're okay with me occasionally fudging a rule or if they're very rule-based would de would depend a lot on my preparation um it's definitely something where I, I like creating worlds. I like creating stories and plot hook. Um, in my free time, I like to write. So I, I think there's a natural synergy there. Um, 
but uh, I think I'd, I would be really paranoid and stressed out leading up to at least my first couple sessions. I don't know if that would go away, but uh, uh, I and I did the zero level sessions for DCC. I did one with um, uh, my dad and my sister, both of who had never played before, and I think they had some fun. And I did it with um, my wife and uh, a, a couple that's friends of ours and they, they i think they had more fun but i i didn't have to do too much prep because i had all the rules there and the 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 zero level um zine kind of has it all ready to go yeah i think it's important to like remember that these are people who know you and like you and want to have fun with you so they they usually aren't too uh too bad about that in my experience um that i would give you like just a word of warning i understand wanting to be prepared but you have to also make sure you don't over prepare and make the players feel like they're observers instead of players <laughs> i think yeah, that might be a pit that I would be walking on the edge of the first couple times I would play, which is funny because the thing I like most in a campaign is the ability to have flexibility, which is so hard to do and balance that with rules. So uh, I might not be very flexible the first couple times I played. Word of warning to future players. You know, uh, you asked me earlier, Elmer, if I played any, you know, sci-fi games, and I just spent the last 10 minutes vaguely looking for uh, the one I played. It was called Alternative. Nitty. Uh, it was made by Wizards of the Coast in 1998. It's a science fiction role-playing game, and it quickly folded, and apparently it's uh, part of the D20 future setting now. So, yeah, that was the one I played back back in the day. I, I, I couldn't think of the name of it. It was on the tip of my tongue. There you go. Yeah, I remember, wasn't it a very dark setting? Uh, yes. Um, it was, I think, the very beginning of 3.0, like it, it kind of had a uh, 3.0 feel to it. I don't remember a lot of it, but I remember having the player's handbook, and that, that was that was the one I wanted to play and never got a chance to. I've been actually the last couple of podcast sessions when we mentioned that I've been trying to remember that name, and I finally got it. So yeah, I I actually remember when that came out because it came out right at the very end of second edition, and. Uh, my group actually talked about buying it, but we knew third edition was coming out. So we were like, you know, we're going to have to invest in all those third edition books. Let's not buy this system because we want to be ready to do that. And then they zinged was, us by making us do third edition, then 3.5, like a few years later. <laughs> they got gotcha. you. I think it was one of those that um, $20 burned the hole in my pocket back in the day and wanted to read some fluff, so I grabbed it. Yeah, the, one of my favorite RPG books I have is actually called Illuminati University, and I bought it even though it's a GURPS supplement, and I've never played GURPS in my life. I've never even seen a GURPS base book. But it is a super <laughs> fun setting. Yeah, GURPS is a myth. It doesn't exist. Yes, all of the... It's the liberal media. The liberal media. <laughs> I hope GURPS exists because there's... Uh... I, I feel like there was a certain period where GURPS was used for a lot of like taking novels and then like taking somebody's world and then turning it very quickly into an RPG. And I'm pretty sure one of my favorite series is uh, written by Lois McMaster Bujold and it's the Miles Vorkosigan adventure series. And I'm pretty sure at some point somebody came to her with a paycheck or came to her publisher and said, you want to do an RPG? And she said, yep, if you do it all. And I'm pretty sure it says GURPS underneath there. And I've always wanted a copy. I don't think it did very well just because I'm obsessed with that world but i hope it exists <laughs> it, it probably does like it's either gurps or savage worlds it's one of the two okay were those the two placeholder 
systems for a long time. Yeah, GURPS, GURPS was, GURPS was yeah. the the generic of the like 80s and 90s and Savage of the 2000s and 2010s. Okay, yeah, it was like an 80s or 90s one for sure. Yeah, what were you going to say, Rodney? Oh, I was just going to uh, point out that, yeah, if you had kind of a B movie, there was a good chance in the 80s and 90s that there was a GURPS supplement for it somewhere. <laughs> That's so cool. God, I want to find a copy of Mannequin, the role-playing game for GURPS. <laughs> I will write the rules for that for you, and I will run the game if you want to run a mannequin <laughs> role-playing section. <laughs> what we need to do is do, like, a Stranger Things, like, make a role-playing game that is just an homage to all of, like, the terrible 80s movies that have nothing to do with sci-fi or fantasy. So, like... <laughs> You know, it would be uh, a floating mall instead of a city. Yeah, <laughs> it would be a floating mall. Everyone would have polo shirts. Like there would be like a whole bunch of teen centers that need to be saved. So many clicks. Yes, clicks everywhere. You know, leg warmers as far as the eye can see. <laughs> I could see it now. Um, but uh, you know, as as much fun as we're having fantasizing about a terrible '80s role-playing game that probably we wouldn't even spend money on. Uh, <laughs> one of the special things we we're going to talk to Andrew about today was uh, RPGs and education. Um, you may have picked up that Andrew is a teacher from uh, some of the uh, comments about going to school to become a teacher or doing things <laughs> for his students. Um, so, uh, you know, Andrew, could you tell us a little bit about like, you know, your experience working with the role playing clubs? at the school you're working at now or a previous school or yeah so i being a person who is interested in, in generally nerdy things fantasy things science fiction and gaming things um i've always thought it would be really cool to be involved in some kind of like gaming club um when i was training to be a teacher they said you guys have to go out into schools you have to go like join clubs and like talk to schools in the neighborhood and we'll give you some credit so i went to the middle school in bloomington and uh bloomington indiana and they had a game club there and i was oh my gosh they're all gonna be playing DD. it's gonna be so much fun i went in and it's wall to wall magic the gathering so i learned i learned a lot about magic the gathering uh they had some other board games and stuff but that was that was sort of my start uh then at the high school i was at uh in indiana uh they didn't have a game club at all and there were like uh 1500 students there i was like oh my gosh there are so many people that would join this i had a bunch of students who were interested and so my second year there, me and another teacher uh, went to the local gaming shop and went to some other places and did some research um, and uh, talked to some people who do like uh, Wizards of the Coast, like competitions and like official, you know, official stuff. And, uh, uh, you know, did found out about that. And then we were going to create uh, a game club. We were going to do it at the end of the year. And then the pandemic hit. So oh. we, were, we were we were sorely disappointed. And then after that, that was my final year there. So I moved to the school that I'm at now in Washington State. And uh, that that school has a game club, which I was so excited to find out. And so I went there. I, I talked to two of my students, and I said, you know, I I play RPGs. And they're like, you you play RPGs? You do? And so they actually showed up at the end of the day and said, we're going to escort you to the game club. <laughs> <laughs> they walked me down the hall Escort to the you. Yeah, and they're like, this is the game club. This is Jerry. This is the teacher. And so there were some kids playing Magic the Gathering and some kids playing uh, D&D. And one of the kids that had escorted me, he was the DM. So uh, in the last... Uh, a couple weeks I've I've had them actually in my room which is in the library because it's got the big tables and the big chairs and uh, they've come in and I've I've talked to the one student a lot about his campaign um, and it's they've got like 10 kids trying to play at one table which is 
is a lot. And I, I, I've been thinking, man, maybe they should try to break that into two campaigns that are two, you know, or two groups or something like that. Cause it'd be more manageable for a young DM, especially, but, uh, the teacher who does it is not going to be there next year. And so I've actually just reached out to my administration and been like, you want me to do it? I'll do it. And I think they're excited. So uh, I'm going to be talking with the other teacher this week. You know what you might want to look into? And we actually talked to a guest about this earlier this year. Um, he's YumDM on Twitter if you want to follow him. But uh, okay. it's called a West Marches game. Ooh. And there are old school D&D games that were actually set up with the idea that, you know, you would never know who could show up to a game session. So it's built so that the parties can rotate and stuff. So what you could do is have a couple kids as dungeon masters and then you know that way they can rotate between being a player and a dungeon master and you know that way you could break them into a couple groups and you know part of a west marches game is like every month they reconcile it so like what every group is doing in the world has impacted it interesting so like that's really cool yeah so like say that there's a uh i don't know like there ends up being a knoll encampment outside of the town that needs something needs to be taken care of about and one group goes to goes to do it and they fail you know like at the end of the month like you would report that you know such and such died trying to do something about the knoll camp you know stuff like that also each um each person has multiple characters so if one character dies then it's not a big deal because you have you know, well it's a big deal but you have two more characters you can go and play oh that's cool yeah i rodney i especially like the idea that they have multiple characters because i know for new players especially you know younger players who maybe this is all they've ever known that first character death can sometimes be a reason for them to leave the game club or something yeah yeah it's it's really dramatic you generally don't want to kill off a player's new character but like you said if you have other characters go back on then it lets low somewhat well and the other thing with west, west marches is part of the reason they do that is say you have like you know four players all show up on the same day and if they didn't have multiple characters you could have a situation where like you end up with a party with like four bards and a cleric like, you know, oh, by having that. each of them have multiple uh, characters, they could sub out. <laughs> but that means you can't do the, the plot hook is we're getting the band back together. And also our friend Dave's here, the cleric. <laughs> we're going to sing some hymns. Dave, four bars. Yeah. There you go. Dave is here to like mediate some of the differences that the band had. <laughs> he can be the youth pastor who's hanging out with the kids. <laughs> as long as like he has a special feature where he gets a charisma bonus if he sits backwards on a chair. I, I did that the other day with some of my students and I said, I, I'm giving you a warning. I'm going to do the youth pastor. And I spun the chair around and i did this and they just <sighs> okay and you were like let's rap boys yeah, let's rap let's rap y'all let's get in here let's let's talk about our feelings you could also play the cleric like he's thinks he's a bard but he's really terrible at singing and the other bards feel bad and don't want to tell him so no he's the best at singing and the other bards want to want to recruit him I want to recruit him but, like okay that. yeah yeah that could be fun and be like really if you broke out of like religious songs there's a wider audience that might you know no 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 i just mm -hmm. it's all about malora malora is where it's at i'm man. just okay. i'm just thinking about south park now faith plus one yeah i like, haven't seen that one before cartman forms a christian rock band with token and butters and it is <laughs> It is a classic, great episode. They just okay, take they just take love songs and substitute Jesus for baby or sweetheart. <laughs> like they just put Jesus in or savior. <laughs> like it's it's pretty great. Like they, they do a fake like late night TV commercial to buy the CD. Like it's 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 a, it's a great episode. But 
you know, I'm, I'm kind of curious, like, you know, these are... The, these... I want to get in on my knees and start... You sure do, dear. <laughs> that was one of the songs. Um, I hope that got picked up on the mic. <laughs> uh, if you heard it, it did. Um, but, uh, you know, you have these students that are... Like, like, how odd is it to listen to, like, a bunch of, like, high school students role-play compared to what you've heard before? Like, it's, I mean, it's it's pretty chaotic. They're, they're shouting out different things at different times. They're all talking to each other. They're half paying attention. Some of them are 100% paying attention, which is a little too much. Um, and the DM is, is definitely doing crowd control as much as actually DMing. Um, but the, it's fun to see the young enthusiasm that they have for it and how a lot of them are not coming with preconceived ideas about what it has to be. So like my first campaign, again, was until college and I'd already consumed a lot of uh, like acquisitions and and stuff like that so I had okay this is what it's supposed to be like and they don't have that so I really think um, right now at least the group I'm over kind of overseeing occasionally they get to hang out in my room hopefully next year more but they're they're doing D&D but it definitely makes me think wow these people don't have these preconceived ideas maybe we should throw them like different types of RPGs like uh, the West Marches thing or like something uh, more like masks or um, like kids on bikes or, or something that's maybe like a little less crunchy and collaborative because they definitely have the, the 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 energy going on for something like that I think kids on bikes would be a great choice we actually played a kids on bikes game for Christmas that was a lot of fun um, candy corn Rodney um, <laughs> giant candy corn but uh I don't know if you're aware of it but there's kids on brooms which is basically kids on bikes but the idea is they're at like a Harry Potter style magic school oh, that's so cool and they well, what, like that I think I think it's very interesting with kids now because when I was younger RPG was such a niche thing and you'd have to constantly explain to people what the hell you were talking about when you mentioned RPGs but kids now you know I mean RPGs are everywhere and you know you generally don't have to explain what a role-playing game is to kids I wouldn't think and in like about the yeah hopefully in about you know 30 years they'll start putting stop putting that as the first page in every role-playing yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you don't open up a book and goes, this is a book. Here's how a book works. <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely think there's definitely a lower bar now for getting into something like that than there would have been even five years ago. Um, and I, I have students in some of my other classes and they go, oh, I was in that. I was in the game club in middle school and we played D&D. &D. But now, you know, I haven't been in there in a little bit. And I'm like, there's, you know, 10, maybe 15 kids in the game club out of a school of like 300 people. And there's also a, another group outside of that are the kids who were in it and aren't anymore or could be. So potentially that could be like, I don't know, like, 30 people which is a good chunk of 300 that you could have at a game club and you could have multiple games going it's it's an exciting time i think yeah i think so too and i think that uh you know something you might want to consider like just bouncing more ideas out you at you is that uh there are a lot of like the one page rpgs now that you just do for like you know one shots that could be a good way to introduce people like there's a honey heist which okay. I really want to play that. I don't know if you're familiar, but like your bears that are trying to steal honey. Um, I've heard good things about that one. Yeah, if you go on itch, there are actually a whole bunch of itch.io. There are actually a whole bunch of them. Uh, there's actually a bundle going around right now where they're trying to raise money to donate to Planned Parenthood because of the abortion opinion that was leaked. Oh, that's cool. I know there's another one that is uh, that's a bundle of like 100 one-page RPGs. Uh, 
donate what you want, but it's donating money to help trans kids. So maybe I can go and get that and then have the school reimburse me. <laughs> yeah. Like it would be cool. Like if you could see what the school budget was, you know, you could get a whole bunch of one shot games. Yeah, that's the thing. Um, I, I think the, the club, the way it's organized right now, is more of a, a loose group with a teacher who's just been willing to, you know, do more Magic the Gathering stuff and, like, watch over everybody. Um, but there's some, at least at our, and some schools do this differently where they have an official club. But right now it's not, I don't think, an official club with officers. And so I'm going to talk to the, the current teacher who's in charge who won't be there next year. And one of the things I want to talk to him about is, are we going to get a budget if we make this official? Do we have officers? If we have officers, could they each be a different uh, trope? Could one be the fighter instead of the president? And could we have a, <laughs> an economancer? And, you know, so I don't know. We'll You'd see. have to have a rogue in charge of the the treasury or or maybe the rogue would be the last person in charge of the treasury um maybe the rogue secretly is in charge of the treasury <laughs> but uh yeah like i'd be really curious to hear about what you pull off next year so maybe we'll invite you for season three to tell us a little bit about that um yeah, that would be really cool. It sounds exciting. Um, and I have to imagine that Adventure League has to have something for school clubs where you can get free stuff. Yeah, when I originally done my investigation with uh, another teacher in Indiana about that, they'd said that there there was some kind of um, sort of like junior elements to it that I think you could look up or that you could become affiliated with. It was long enough ago now that I don't I don't remember exactly what it was, but I think there was something like that too. Yeah, but uh, you know, we have to ask you the compulsory question uh, for some. Somebody who it was their first time approaching a role-playing game, what tip or suggestion would you give them? I would say, uh, it's, I know it's a cliche, but I would say go with the flow. Um, and if the group is, is, is different than the way you want to play, just go with it. Try it out. If everybody decides, oh, we're all going to be murder hobos, maybe it'd be fun to try that out, even if that's not your thing. Because I think the times where I have enjoyed D&D &D or any kind of role-playing game is when everybody kind of gets the gist and goes with it, whatever it is. And the times that I haven't is where there's one person who really has a strong idea about how they want to be, and it kind of separates from the group. And then you got to deal with that. And I don't know if they really have fun either. So I would say go with the flow. Go with the flow. Get outside your, uh, your comfort bubble if that's necessary and have a good time okay i think that's really good advice and uh i think there's also a secondary piece of advice you've given without realizing it is that just because your first experience with a group doesn't go great you can still look for and find another group to give it a second try like yeah it's kind of the uh we've had a kind of a re one of the recurrent themes is a lot of people have had a bad experience at that first game so yeah if you're a first time player yeah yeah don't let one one experience you know cover the whole hobby give it give it another because sometimes you know sometimes groups don't meld and you need to just find the group, right group for you yeah i think yeah. that's all very good advice and uh you know andrew thank you for joining us oh it was my pleasure anytime uh rodney you know as usual thanks for being the other host um uh, hey love it <laughs> for the uh for the listeners uh Thank you for joining us. If you want to get a hold of me, you can tech, uh, find me on Twitter at, at Schmombrew. That's at S H M O M B R E W. Or you can go to the Homebrew Schmombrew website and uh, check stuff out there. Rodney, where can the listeners find you? You can find me on Twitter most days under Dr. Zoggle, D R Z O G G L E. And I am also on Twitch with my five viewers playing video games oh it used to be and, three yeah it, it's it's gone up uh also 
if you're listening to this, we're kind of a small podcast, so any interaction will help. So if you could like and subscribe this, we would appreciate it very much. And of course, I'll give you the, the standard, please give us five stars or more. If you can't give us more than five stars, we'll take the five stars and we'll love you very much for doing it. And I mean, the stars are free. You can give out as many as you want. Like there's no reason to like hoard them. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Andrew, I believe that you uh, refer- uh, you prefer to maintain uh, maintain your era of mystery. <laughs> yes, if if you are one of my students who's found this, get back to work. Everyone else, <laughs> don't find me. Okay. Uh, thank you, and uh, listeners, you can add another 125 experience points to your character sheet. 175 if you give a five star review, and uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks. Adios. Bye.